Of course, dream of a zero waste world, a zero waste society. If zero waste has transformed my family, I can only imagine what it would be like if we had a society based on being instead of having. Episode 9 of the Zero Waste Life Hacks podcast. This episode is called The Zero Waste State of Mind. Today is July 1st, 2020. It has been over 100 days since here in Los Angeles, California, the governor first put us into quarantine. It has been over 30 days since we took to the streets in the middle of a pandemic, mind you, to raise awareness and demand justice for the Black Lives Matter movement. And it has been one day of plastic-free July. Back on December 11th, 2019, we were lucky to catch up with Bea Johnson at her speaking event in Long Beach, California, for an interview. Bea has been coined as the mother of the zero-waste movement. Now, if you don't know who Bea Johnson is, please pause this episode and take a moment to look her up. You can either visit our website, zerowastelifehacks.com, and look at the blog post for episode 9, or visit her website, zerowastehome.com. The reason I ask you to do this is because our interview today isn't really about who she is or what she's accomplished, but more about what makes Bea Johnson tick. But I will let you know that she has fans all over the world who have taken on her challenge of putting a year's worth of trash in one mason jar. Now, when we caught up with her back in December, she was just beginning a world tour in which she was giving talks about zero waste living. Little did we know what was ahead of us in 2020. Keeping in mind the current state of the world politically, physically, mentally, and spiritually, I'm reminded of my biggest takeaway from her interview. And that is that we now have a chance to reevaluate and redesign what our basic human rights are as well as our basic human needs. We have a chance to redesign how we consume because we are waking up to the fact that people all over the world have been exploited for the growth of capitalism, which in turn harms communities of color, low-income communities, and our planet. So as Bea asks in this interview, what if we had a society of being rather than having? On that note, please enjoy Sophia's interview with Bea Johnson. This took place December 11th, 2019 at the Long Beach Public Library and was put on by the zero waste shop, Bring Your Own Long Beach. No, no, no trash talking, only good trash talking. Um, zero waste, exactly. zero trash. So, I mean, really the reason why we're here is because I, on this journey, I really saw you as like kind of not my mentor per se, but like really just like brought a whole new level of awareness to my life. And because of that, there's been things that I've just been changing, you know, obviously my education and everything else. But I want to know who are some of the people that inspired you, um, any classes that you took or workshops or books that you might have read, like who are those influential figures that have kind of helped you um, along this road or in this movement? 
Well, so uh, the first thing, what, what really got me thinking about reducing our trash uh, was, uh, what, what led me to it was first adopting a simple life and that leading to that, sim to that simple life was simply moving from one place to another where I had to, uh, we rented an apartment for one year, we only moved in with the necessities, but during that year, just with living with less, it opened our eyes on how much more time we have when we live with less. And then thanks to that simple uh, we found time to read books uh, or watch documentaries of, mm -hmm. such as Earth, Home, or even Wally. I think is a great <laughs> movie that shows you kind of the world that's ahead if we don't uh, start changing. But even I went back to books like The Little House on the Prairie, uh, which is all about, you know, how to live simply. And there is one also that I really enjoyed. Uh, that was, uh, I think it's a uh, hundred ways uh, to simplify your life. And it, was a, it looks like a little, you know, one of those books you would find in the bathroom, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like a tiny little book, inspirational book. But boy, I mean, in that book, it gave you a ton of tips on how to live simply. Um, and so I think it was a combination of things that kind of uh, led me to it. And then once I decided to adopt a more eco-friendly way of living, then I started uh, not only going back to the little house on the prairie books, but also calling my mother my mother-in-law, my grandma, and I asked them, like, how the heck did you guys do it before this consumerist society? Because, you know, this consumerist society was created by manufacturers who hired uh, powerful marketers to create in this fictitious needs. And they've promised time savings and money savings. Uh, but in the end, when you adopt a zero-waste lifestyle, you realize that you've been duped. And uh, so it took a while to separate myself from that, but also to kind of reach back on, on this whole savoir-faire that has been lost uh, over time. So it was actually a really good uh, time to connect with my mom because obviously I live in the US, she lives in France and there is a distance, obviously we can see each other very often. But the fact that I you know, took on this, uh, this goal of eliminating trash in our house, uh, I picked up the phone and uh, it really created uh, really good connections between us on like brainstorming, on uh, bringing back things that have been lost. What are some of the biggest shocks um, basically that you've seen in the U.S.? Like, what are things that are just so different in France from here? Because uh, I've never been, so there's <laughs> things that I don't know, but I know that when I go to Mexico, certain things are like, wow. Yeah, they pop out, right? Yeah, water, access to clean running water, <laughs> exactly. whatever temperature for as long as you want. So what are some of these things that you can compare between the United States and France and maybe other places now that you've traveled so much that you've seen in other parts of the world? Like, what's working there and where can we, you know, what can we look to adopt? Well, so um, when I first came to the U.S., it was at the age of 18. So I've actually now lived longer in the U.S. than I have France. When I moved here, I don't think the, cons the, the consumption didn't really bother me. I mean, it's not something I really paid much attention to. It's actually something that I wanted to participate in, it, uh, to participate in, uh, because to me it represented maybe the American way of life, uh, the American dream. Um, and at one point, so I met my husband and we moved uh, to Europe for one of his jobs and we lived there for four years. But then when I got once I got pregnant, I wanted to come back to the U.S. to experience that uh, the soccer mom uh, life and experience what it's like to 
to actually raise a family in the US. And I dreamt of uh, the big house as seen on TV, uh, the two refrigerators, one in the kitchen, one in the garage, or maybe sometimes two in the garage, uh, and uh, SUVs and all that stuff. Um, but in the end, um, you know, we lived this way for about seven years, but a part of me felt like he was dying. Like I, um, I kept thinking that, okay, uh, as soon as the kids are grown, we need to move out of the suburbs. Because in the suburbs, I mean, we had to drive to go everywhere, to go to the grocery stores, schools, restaurants. And I really missed that life that I, I had known in, the, in Europe, uh, being able to walk to things and the little shops or the little grocery store and the corner markets. And uh, so that's actually what led us to then uh, look for a different way of living and led us to want to move uh, closer to a town so we could have amenities within walking or biking distance. So um, that really what, uh, it, it, that was really what changed our life, that move. Um, but we know, again, when I came to the US, it didn't really, uh, really strike me. It seemed like actually something that looked like something I wanted to participate mm -hmm. in. Now, uh, I know that, uh, you know, over time, of course, the consumerism has gone rampant. Um, and I know a lot of French people that come over to the US and they're like, oh my gosh, in the US, it's crazy. The amount of consumption yeah. is like totally out of control. And, but yet I have also seen France move, uh, move that way. Um, uh, you know, again, I moved here when I was 18, but every year that I went back to France, I, I saw France uh, becoming closer and closer to the American culture. And, uh, but that said, uh, once I started talking about waste-free living and once uh, my book came out there, uh, the French people are actually the ones that grabbed it the fastest. And zero waste is actually growing the fastest in France than it is anywhere in the world. And if you uh, take uh, countries in general, it's actually in the Francophone countries that it's growing the fastest. So if you take Switzerland, it's in uh, the, the French-speaking part that is growing the fastest. If you take Belgium, it's in uh, Wallonie, so the French-speaking part that is growing the fastest. If you take the Americas, it's in Quebec where it's growing the fastest. When I gave a talk on Mauritius Island, which is also a francophone country, uh, 1,700 people came to the talk. It's really interesting. Um, I've, uh, I do notice, and it's also very evident, when I give talks throughout the world, um, you know, if I'm doing it in Europe, there's going to be 1,000 people that come to the talk. In the US, I expect typically 200 people. It's way, way less. I think consumerism is so anchored in the U.S. that people are afraid of letting it go. People are afraid of not showing their uh, successful ways with a big house, big cars, latest gadgets and brands and the Gucci bag and this and that. Um, they're also afraid in the end of buying secondhand, which is part of adopting a zero-waste lifestyle. Adopting a zero-waste lifestyle means that you're going to learn to say no to the stuff that you don't need. You're going to learn to live simply, let go of all the stuff you don't need. Uh, you're going to swap disposables for reusables uh, and buy secondhand if you need to buy something. And I think a lot of these uh, parts of the zero waste lifestyle scared the American public. Now, having given talks in uh, 68 uh, countries so far, um, it's become very evident to me that you have a lot of countries over the world uh, that look at the US at, as an image of prosperity. And I've been invited in places like Brazil uh, to speak about my lifestyle as the lifestyle of the future, to basically 
basically tell them that in the US we've majorly screwed up. We're trying to undo things so you guys have the power not to make the same mistake. And yes, everyone deserves a roof on their heads, a few pieces of clothing and of furniture, but I'm here to say you really don't need much in order to be comfortable. Once you've reached that comfort level, then anything beyond it becomes excess and does not improve one standard of living. It actually becomes a, de a detriment. Um, so, uh, and it's also crazy to me that I've been able, uh, I've been invited to talk about my simple life in countries like India. I would have thought, okay, India, they already know how to live simply, but no, I mean, uh, consumerism mm -hmm. is basically, uh, you know, coming into every part of the world, and a lot of these countries are just simply following uh, the U.S.'s uh, the U.S.'s example. Um, and, you know, I've, I don't watch a lot of environmental documentaries because I personally find them depressing. <laughs> but uh, what I took from the last two I watched, uh, it was uh, The Inconvenient Truth, the sequel with Al Gore. The other one was Before the Flood with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. And when I, what I retained from both, both documentaries was the same thing. In both uh, documentaries, they go to uh, developing countries uh, and basically tell them, hey, you got to change your ways. You got to be really mindful of your emissions and in those countries they look at the producers and they're like uh, excuse me but maybe yeah, it's up to you to change because mm -hmm. you're, uh, you're leading you're the consumer you're showing uh, this uh, example of prosperity and I think it's really about time that we changed uh, that image and that if we I personally dream of a zero waste society but I think to get there we need to change the US so we can show a different image and so, that's the reason why uh, right now I'm on a year long speaking tour throughout the US and Canada uh, I'm saying no to lots of different uh, um, talks throughout the world because I really want to focus on the U.S. Uh, and on the U.S. especially. So I actually went to the screening also of the Before the Flood and I walked out a little bit disappointed from that one because I felt like so much of it was focused on the big ideas, the big, this is this company that's developed this, there, you know, there's millions of dollars being put into this, but I felt like there wasn't enough emphasis on the little things that we can do. The what the consumer exactly, can do. Like, or, and then at every level, right? So a lot of the zero waste lifestyle now is like, well, buy this $40 you know, juice thing, or you know, coffee mug, or buy this that costs only $20. Well, not everybody has money to do that. Not only that, but there's plenty of free options and, you know, using the order, right? The, the five R's or whatever, like there's things you could do for free. You don't need to buy a water bottle. You can reuse a mason jar or whatever, but... Exactly, and that's actually a part of the zero waste lifestyle movement that is really bothering me. There are two different sides of the movement that are bothering me. Uh, one is indeed uh, these uh, all these social media accounts that have popped up and the blogs uh, that are like trying to make money and basically trying to uh, turn, <laughs> uh, basically trying to uh, turn uh, the zero waste lifestyle into a consumerist lifestyle. Uh, they're telling you you gotta buy this, you gotta buy that. They're telling you. you you can't be zero waste mm -hmm. if you don't have a reusable stainless steel straw. Uh, wait, excuse me, but before you even go out there to buy a straw, I hope that you're asking yourself, do I even need one? Yeah. I think in 99.9% .9 of the cases, our population doesn't need one. Yeah. Uh, I think there is only very, a very slim portion of the population who, for maybe a physical disability, might need a straw, but most of us don't. So before you go out there and go buy things that all those social media accounts are telling you to buy, 
take a moment and ask yourself, do I even need it? And that's actually part of, indeed, my five rules. My five rules are, one, refuse what you do not need. Two, reduce what you do actually need. Mm -hmm. Three, reuse by swapping disposables uh, for reusables and by secondhand if you need to buy something. Uh, fourth, it's to recycle, but it's to recycle <laughs> only what you cannot refuse, reduce, or reuse. And finally, it's rot, which is composting the rest. In none of these rules, <laughs> none of these rules are telling you, go out there and buy something new, uh, buy something that you don't need new. Uh, so before you go out there to buy anything, ask yourself, do I really need one? And in most of the cases, actually, people already have in their homes the things that they need in order to do zero waste. In my case, uh, to buy my food in bulk, I made cloth bags from an old sheet. Uh, once I needed, I realized that in order to eliminate uh, tissues, I needed handkerchiefs. I asked my mother-in-law, do you have handkerchiefs? And of course she did. She had a drawer filled with them, but she's not using them anymore. Or my mm -hmm. mother also had a bunch she was not using. So I went to these uh, areas to grab them and to basically get a second-hand option for the things that were necessities in my zero-waste lifestyle. But you'll find that most of the things people are trying to sell you, you actually don't need. The other aspect that's really bothering me uh, in, in this uh, zero-waste lifestyle movement exploding throughout the world are, uh, same thing, the same social media accounts or blogs that are associating zero-waste with everything homemade. And mm. I think it's, it scares the crap out of the full-time working moms. Uh, you have people out there saying, you got to make your own lotion, uh, you got to make your own toothpaste. I mean, I, there is a woman that posted on social media uh, saying, hey, Bea, look, I'm making my own zero-waste toothpaste today. And she shows me nine packaged ingredients. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Go buy the freaking tube of toothpaste yeah. already. Maybe yeah. buy a better one. Uh, buy it maybe out of a metal tube. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in our case, if we've been able to stick to a zero-waste lifestyle for over a decade, yeah. it's not because I'm spending my days making things, making products. It's actually because we've let zero-waste simplify our lives. Uh, zero-waste becomes a lifestyle when you let it simplify your life, not complicated. So I don't make toothpaste. I just use baking soda. I simply buy it in bulk using my own uh, cloth bag, again, that I made from old mm -hmm. sheets. And we sprinkle that baking soda on a wooden toothbrush. That's it. There is no making, no recipe. Um, you have a ton of uh, also uh, accounts out there that will show you how to make your own floor cleaner, window cleaner, uh, toilet, I mean, uh, stainless cleaner and grout cleaner. But what's the point of making all these products if you can just use white vinegar and water? That's all you need. Sure. There is no making, no recipe. So in the end, I think, again, uh, there, is, uh, they, there are some accounts out there that label themselves zero waste, but that are associating uh, a whole different way of consuming. Uh, so basically, in this case, it's replacing all the cleaning products you had under your sink with a whole set of cleaning products that you're making yourself. Well, in the end, it's just creating a different way of consuming. Uh, and in that case, if you go down that path, believe me, you are not going to stick to zero waste. It's only going to become something that maybe you'll do for a week or two, and then there is no way you'll stick to it. Uh, sure. Whatever practice you ad adopt, whatever alternative uh, you adopt, you have to see yourself doing it for life, for the long run, because that's when it becomes a lifestyle. Do you see yourself making toothpaste with nine, ingredient, nine package ingredients for your family of four? If the answer is no, then don't make it. Uh, simply use baking soda, sprinkle it on your wooden toothbrush. There is no making there. True. So you talk about Instagram, and for me, it's only been the last few years that I've really gone into it. Of course, Facebook has been around longer, but I think 
there's a whole lot of um, sensationalism, right, with, like, the least amount that you can produce. So people are now getting really competitive with how much waste they can fit into a mason jar. And honestly, it started with you. Like, you know, everybody that's listening needs to realize (laughs) that... Thea Johnson started this, and now, and now, now it's, it's become, a challenge. Now it's become a joke, actually, almost, because uh, I did this interview with a, a reporter, and I was telling her how my family of four produces just one jar of trash per year, and she says, oh, you too? You too, you have the jar? And I'm like, oh my God, where do you think it's starting? Exactly. <laughs> uh, and basically, if I put my trash in a jar, it's only because, and I explained that in the book, it's uh, simply because I was, my husband was used to taking the trash on a weekly basis. Like every Sunday, he was taking the trash out. Um, but then little by little, you know, I had found all these alternatives to eliminate trash from our, uh, our home. And yet he was still used to having that habit to take out the trash. And one day I'm like, this is ridiculous. You're taking out the trash and you we have like two items in it like mm-hmm. maybe you should stop taking the trash out and actually we should keep our trash and so then it will give us an idea on how much we were wasting or we're, tr- we're throwing away um, but once we decided to do that it really forced us actually to go further and to really pay attention or to think about twice about putting something in there and mm-hmm. ask ourselves could we how could we have eliminated that piece of trash or is there something we can do with it and um, but uh, one day I broke a wine glass and uh, I had been told that wine, the wine glasses were not recyclable it. well mm-hmm. wait because uh, that's what I had been told and so I put my the little bit of trash we had in that wine glass um, but then eventually uh, I just wanted to understand why are wine glasses not uh, recyclable? So I, I had to contact 21 different people to basically trace where my glass goes once I put it on the curb, where it goes, and I ended up calling the recycler where basically the whole chain ends up uh, and uh, sending my broken glass to that person. Uh, I called him a week later and I said, did you get my glass? Like, oh yeah, you're the woman who the, that sent me her broken glass. And I said, yes. And he said, yes, we can recycle your glass. I'm like, well, thank you. And I'm like, why is it that uh, that we can't, that typically we're told we can't recycle Mm -hmm. uh, wine glasses? And he explained to me, it's because, of course, they don't want people to throw any type of glass in there. If uh, you throw uh, a uh, crystal wine glass in there, it's going to taint the whole uh, glass uh, recycling there because uh, crystal melts at a different temperature. So it's going to screw up everything. But it's crazy to me that as a consumer, it took 21 different phone calls just to know, is my wine glass recyclable? Mm -hmm. And uh, ultimately, he told me that this is uh, the type of glass that would be turned into um, uh, fiberglass. But it was very enlightening uh, to to do that. I've actually done a whole TEDx talk on that, on how zero waste is not about recycling more, but less by preventing waste in the first place. I think there is way too much emphasis that's put on the US around recycling, Mm -hmm. very little that's done around reusing, even less around uh, 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 reducing. And uh, that's why, uh, you know, I offer a different method, the method of the five R's, because if you follow these five rules in order, then this is the method really to eliminate trash from your household. The more you refuse, the less you have to reduce. The more you reduce, the less you have to reuse, yeah. etc. And really, uh, the, the three R's are the ones that allow you to have control over the material. Uh, once you put it on the curb, you have no idea what's going to happen yeah. to it. So really, uh, it's up to you to take control of the material through uh, refusing, reducing, and reusing. 
Well, and as somebody that travels a lot, uh, I think, you know, depending on if you stay at hotels, how eco-friendly those hotels are, Airbnbs, there's a lot of things that we're going to come in contact to that we might not otherwise have in our daily lives, right? Because we are choosing what we want to buy. So what are some hacks for when you travel that make it so that you can still maintain this lifestyle even when there's other things that are kind of being pushed on you, almost forced on you in a way? I actually find that traveling is actually easier than being uh, at home if uh, not, I mean, at home, you know, I know where to get my things uh, without packaging, so that's easy. Actually, I've created a bulk finder. Uh, it's a tab on my on my blog, zeroestorm.com, that has allowed for the global zero waste community to share all the bulk locations that they discover throughout the world. So we have 46,000 locations that have been entered in 100 and more than 160 countries. Uh, so uh, this is actually they call it uh, the uh, the most useful tool, um, the most useful tool for the zero waste uh, community or the zero waste uh, lifestyle movement because if you're uh, going somewhere in a new country, in a new place, and you don't know where to buy unpackaged, uh, then you can look at the app and it will show you. So it's actually, if you uh, type uh, app, uh, app.zerowastehome.com, you can get straight to it. So it's a really useful tool. And I have to say, I mean, I'm using the tool myself. Yeah. It's, a, it's a community tool, so it's up to the community to share all the locations that they discover throughout the world. Um, and uh, so right now, because I am on this year-long speaking tour throughout the US. I'm traveling in an airstream. Uh, so of course, I have to uh, source uh, my I'm going grocery shopping all over the country. So uh, the app is very useful. Mm -hmm. And also sometimes I like not to check the app, just to have the experience of uh, someone that's starting out uh, zero waste and doesn't know that there is an app uh, that exists. And just to have uh, just to experience the reaction that I will get in the store. Uh, let's say if I uh, uh, when I go to the store with my own uh, glass jar to the meat fish daily counter and I ask the staff to fill it just to get their reaction and to see uh, if they accept it or not and how uh, if they know how to tear the container or not it's very interesting but anyway so uh, this type of traveling traveling by Airstream uh, is uh, definitely more complicated um, than it would be if I was uh, just uh, let's say traveling uh, to Europe and I was on a speaking tour mm -hmm. uh, of course when I uh, travel when I'm on a speaking tour for example throughout Europe or any part of the world, in that case, I'm going to be staying in hotels. Sure. Uh, if um, So for one thing, before I fly, I eat. So I always say no to the meal on the plane because I believe that accepting is condoning. Every time you accept a practice, you're basically telling them, I want you to do more. I want this mm. practice to blossom. If you say no, uh, it really is also helpful if you send emails to the airline that you're taking, explaining why you refuse the meal. Um, I, For example, for Air Canada, I believe they have 21 different meal options, oh, wow. uh, from Hindu to salt-free, sugar-free, uh, vegan, vegetarian. I personally am waiting for the zero waste option. Yeah. Uh, so when we say no, again, when we refuse, we create a, a demand for alternatives. Um, and they know how to do zero waste. In, uh, in the upper classes, in the uh, uh, business and the first class, they, you know, they, have, they serve things in uh, reusable. So it could be totally doable to offer that option uh, on, uh, on the plane for economy class. 
class. So I, uh, so I eat before uh, I leave on the plane. If it's a long haul flight, uh, I always travel with a cloth bag. So in a cloth bag, I'm going to buy, let's say, a sandwich or a croissant for the breakfast. Mm -hmm. I always bring a thermos for uh, all my drinks. So whether it be hot or cold, because it's uh, insulated. Um, it's, uh, the, the container, of course, needs to be empty uh, before you go through security. Yep. Once you pass security, you have fountains, you have cafes, or why not the bathroom? Not the toilet, the bathroom. <laughs> I'm saying that because someone misunderstood me once, so oh, I have to no. correct it. Thank you for um, clarifying. Yes. Uh, and then um, once I am at destination, so there are three possible options. It's one, I stay at hotels, like mm -hmm. uh, I just did recently uh, with a European speaking tour. Uh, if I stay at hotels, um, uh, I always bring with me, uh, anyways, when I travel, uh, I always bring with me a solid bar of soap. That solid bar of soap is what we use at home uh, mm -hmm. to wash our hair, our faces, our bodies, and my husband and the kids also use it to shave. So no need to use the disposable shampoo bottles in the hotels. Yep. I just don't touch them. I don't need them. Uh, if I am staying in a hotel, that also means that I'm going to be eating out. I believe that eating out is voting, just as buying is voting. If you eat at a, a fast food restaurant, uh, it's a way for you to invest your money in fast food restaurants, and you're yes. literally telling them, please blossom. I love this practice, and do more. Mm -hmm. um, when you eat at a real restaurant with real food on real plates, you're literally investing your money in a more sustainable, uh, in more sustainable practices. You're giving them your money to basically flourish or for that system to flourish. Now, the second option is we can stay at someone's house. Let's say I stay at some friend's house, family house. Uh, then in that case, I'm going to respect their lifestyle just as I expect them to respect my lifestyle if they come to my house. So if I go to someone's house and, for example, there is a bowl of chips that's on the coffee table, I'm not going to say no to the chips. I'm not going to say, no, I know you bought it uh, uh, in packaging. It's the contrary. I'm going to jump on the chips because yeah. I, it's not something I buy. True. <laughs> uh, but uh, the third option is uh, we'll rent a house. And if we rent a house, of course, that means that we're going to be looking to buy our groceries mm -hmm. unpackaged. And for that, we do check the bulk finder. Um, and uh, if, uh, let's say, for some reason, there was no uh, location in the bulk finder, then farmers markets are a great source of unpackaged foods. Your local fishermen, local butcher, uh, the, uh, the local producers, the little stand on the side of the street. So talking about fitting a year's worth of trash into tiny little mason jars, as many people claim to do, um, what is Bea's guilty pleasure? What is something that every so often you're willing to just say, you know what? I'm going to get that little chocolate bar or chips. For me, it's chips. So I'm curious as to what is that one thing that every once in a while you're willing to just say, you know, you only live once and I'm going to get it this time. My guilty pressure are experiences. It's really not consumer goods. Uh, it's not stuff. Uh, it's not uh, the food that I buy uh, is whole. It's so much healthier. It's tasty. And thanks to this lifestyle, we've actually discovered a true sense of taste. Mm -hmm. And I know that if I was eating the crap again, I would lose that sense of taste. And it's so important to me. But does that mean, again, that I never eat chips or never eat Oreo cookies? No, because if I go to someone's house and it's being offered 
to me, I'm not going to turn it down. I'm going to say, sure, I, you know, again, I accept your lifestyle just as I expect you uh, to expect mine, if you, uh, to respect mine if you come to my house. So I'll have the chips. Uh, if, uh, you know, we go to a nice cream uh, shop uh, and there is the Oreo uh, flavor, I mean, I personally, that's not definitely not my favorite flavor. My favorite flavor is like a, a green tea. Uh, but uh, let's say if my kids, uh, you know, we don't buy Oreos. So if my kids uh, wanted the Oreo flavor, I mean, those things are still surrounding you everywhere. So that doesn't mean that we never, ever have them. Uh, it's just that you get them somehow. They, they come in your life, whether you like it or not. That's how uh, I feel so about soda, too. Like, I never <laughs> buy it. But if there's a Coca-Cola, especially a Mexican Coke, I'm like, right Oh, yeah, here. the Mexicans went. Yeah. <laughs> they're the best, right? <laughs> and what's awesome is actually south of the border, uh, the bottles are actually uh, being reused. That's, yeah. uh, you know, it's sadly that is something that we've lost here in the U.S., uh, but uh, it's uh, it's something that still exists south of the border. Now, what's sad is that, for example, I've uh, gone to a place like, uh, well, for example, like in uh, Belize, I was like in the middle of nowhere in the jungle. Uh, they had Coca-Cola, but uh, whenever they were serving it or selling it, they would, uh, and, and, and the bottle, again, is like totally returnable, reusable, mm -hmm. but when they sell it, they actually pour it in a plastic bag, uh, and they put a straw oh, yeah. in it with a rubber band, because they're afraid they're not going to get the bottle, the, the bottle back, so yep. that is such a shame, because they have like that zero-way system in place, um, there are so many different parts of the world where we'd like to see that happening again, but they're not using it, so, um, but anyways, I think we all have to learn from each other's cultures, uh, sure. I think a lot of people, or I hear a lot of people criticizing me for my travels, but if you follow any of the tips uh, in my books and you criticize me traveling, uh, it's a bit hypocritical because a lot of my savoir-faire has actually been sourced from other cultures, either from the way I grew up or even from cultures that I have visited. For example, the black you see on my eyes mm -hmm. is just activated charcoal that I apply with a Moroccan applicator. This is the way that I've learned to apply coal powder in Morocco, and now I'm able to use that, you know, savoir fair to achieve zero waste and teach other people to and do it the looks same. amazing by the thank way thank you thank you it's the smoky eye yeah <laughs> michelle and i are both moms and i think um being on the zero waste lifestyle is a lot easier when you're just responsible for your own you know for yourself um so we want to give some tips we want other people to feel like hey they can do it too right a lot of times it, like you said it could just be overwhelming but what is something that you've struggled with with your kids, for instance, especially now that they're growing up. You said they shave now. <laughs> you know, like... Uh, my kids are now in uh, in university. Oh, wow. Yeah, both of them have... Uh, uh, the We dropped off the youngest one just a couple months ago. And uh, so... You know, when it's funny because when we first exposed our lifestyle to mainstream, it was uh, through an article in the New York Times in 2010, and we got hammered, hammered with criticism. And some, some people said it's disgusting what we were doing to our children mm. because we were depriving them of the good life because, you know, we don't take them to McDonald's, to sure. poor children. Mm -hmm. uh, poor kids. And uh, <laughs> we take them to a real <laughs> restaurant with real food and served on real plates. But um, really, in the end, uh, it actually it came to a point where it dawned on me that kids have very simple needs. And as long as those needs are met, they're happy. It's the parents that complicate those needs. The sure. parents are the ones with the credit cards. The parents are the ones that are buying the brands or saying yes to uh, unnecessary consumption. Mm -hmm. And so um, I actually, I realized that zero waste had gone completely unnoticed in our household. Uh, when one day I opened our pantry and I asked my son, like, do you notice anything in our pantry? And he's like, no. I'm like, we don't have packaging. And he's like, so? 
Uh, it, it really, to them, it's completely normal and automatic. They don't care. They, they have actually now live longer without trash than they have with trash. Uh, so, you know, when you grow up with a certain religion or a certain diet, you take it for granted. You don't question it. You might only question it when you become independent and have to make those decisions for yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, so now I have two kids uh, at university. Of course, the first year they had the, the they have the meal plan. Uh, so the youngest one is still on his meal plan. The older one is uh, has uh, finished his meal plan. So now he moved into an apartment and he has to cook for himself. So I personally expect him to be buying all the crap that we haven't bought for the past 13 years. Mm -hmm. He's probably <laughs> buying the Oreos and the uh, Cheerios <laughs> and the super like sugary cereals. But that's normal. I expect them to rebel against uh, what we've taught them. That's part of growing up. They're going to have to challenge what we've taught them. True. But what makes me feel comfortable as a mom is to know that I have given them the tools to do it if they choose to do it. When I give talks in this country uh, to places like schools or high schools, you have kids that raise their hand and say, excuse me, ma'am, I don't understand. What do you do with the handkerchief after you've, uh, you've used it? You compost it? I'm like, no, no, we uh, wash it and reuse it. And they're like, you, that's gross. <laughs> but that's because it's a generation that has grown up in this consumer society and they have no idea what a handkerchief is. They have no it's idea true. how to use it. And if you were like, hey, uh, you adopt a zero-waste lifetime, here are all the tools, they, they would be composting the, yeah. <laughs> the handkerchiefs. They wouldn't know how to use them. So now my kids have grown up with this. They've seen, uh, you know, they've, they're used to the tools. Um, I don't know if they're using them right Right now or not but I don't care I don't mind just I have done my job as a mom to give them the tools to do it if they choose to do it honestly I am more worried about the daughters-in-law that are gonna come along than yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna have to and who knows how they would have been how they, they might have been raised True. maybe they might have been raised with the paper towels and they might want them it's funny that you mentioned that because um, I'm in a lot of different groups you know zero waste LA zero waste this zero waste that and Somebody once posted, you know, well, what do you do with, um, a lot of you people talk about eliminating paper towels in your house. Well, what do you do with the rags after? How, how do you wash them? And, you know, in my head, I'm like, uh, in the washing machine? <laughs> like, what, what's the question? Like, what is the real question? <laughs> you know? And then, well, they're, because they're dirty, so. I need to wash you them. You know, and then I'm like, <laughs> and so in that case, it's like, well, wash them with your rugs. Wash them with other things, but. Still, like going down the thread of comments, people could not get over the fact that you had cleaned up something like, you know, if you cooked and you wiped blood and, you know, from the meat or something like, how could that be mixed with your other things? And it's like, well, really? Like, so I think, again, we've gotten so much so used to the single-use items, like well, paper towels exactly, and that, to wipe think, water. Again, this, this consumer society really was created by those manufacturers who created in us those fictitious needs. And they've, uh, they've told us, you know, you better use disposables. You can't mix that with that. Uh, you're mm -hmm. going to be sick if you do. And uh, you're putting the health of your family at risk. And I have to say, uh, when I decided not to use uh, the traditional cleaning products anymore, I, I was scared. I I thought, you know, if I, uh, what if, uh, you know, in using just white vinegar, I put the health of my family at risk because I still had those uh, promotional claims mm -hmm. stuck to my head. Uh, and yet, you know, in doing it, we've been, and we've ended up being way, way less sick than before. Healthier so we're actually than ever. healthier than ever. <laughs> True. Exactly. One question that I have. So, you know, watching you do this throughout the last 10 years, what is your proudest moment? What was that? one speak, you know, gig or invitation or event that you've been to that made you think like, wow, like 
I'm really transforming, you know, the way people live on this planet and kind of creating, you know, or bringing about this new paradigm because that's really what we're doing, right? Like we're going back to making things simple in a lot of ways, but really it's like, it's the future. Everything is new and it's pretty exciting. But what is your proudest moment? Well, I've, uh, I have to say, I've had like some, and I'm going to cry, uh, but I've had some really amazing discoveries with this journey. And I've, uh, I, for example, would have never thought that I had a following, for example, in Papua New Guinea. I mean, that's, it seems so far, so remote. Uh, or uh, I went on vacation in Tonga, and uh, someone found out I was there. She was Alex Aish. She said, like, I'm one of your biggest fans. Like, I would have never known that as far as Tonga, you know, I would have had an impact on people. Um, it's... Uh, um, there are some places where you see you can feel change in the room. Uh, there is a talk I gave at Trinity College in uh, Ireland where uh, the room was completely filled. I mean, filled to the brim, uh, to the point where the security guy was trying to kick us out because he said, you know, this is not safe. And uh, we, uh, we talked him into uh, keeping us there. But uh, you could feel the energy in the room. And uh, also in Plet in South Africa, same thing. You could, it almost like turned into like a city council mm -hmm. uh, where everyone started sharing and you could feel that strong community that they were totally ready to take it on and make it a community uh, uh, goal. Um, they, uh, but speaking, speaking about South Africa, I did a speaking tour there uh, last year, a year and a half ago. And within uh, two months, three unpackaged tours had opened. And I read an article recently that showed that uh, since the speaking tour, along my speaking tour route, 10 unpackaged tours have opened. I mean, this is so exciting. And, you know, again, I get really criticized because I travel uh, the world and of course I I get on a plane to do so. Uh, I can't uh, be like Greta and take a, a boat everywhere. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, when you think about going from uh, the San Francisco airport all the way to South Africa, it's two 12-hour flights. Uh, it's a huge carbon footprint going down there. Yeah. But was it worth it? Heck yeah. I'm so happy to have gone there. I'm so happy to see uh, things change. The zero-waste lifestyle movement is, uh, is exploding there. Mm -hmm. Of course, I could have done this sitting at my computer and doing it online. But when you do so, it doesn't bring the community it's together. The same, yeah. When you have an event like this, uh, it brings all the people who are interested in this together. They look around and they're like, wow, I'm not the only person interested. It gets people uh, networking. It gets people going. And then from there, a ton of things start happening. Uh, uh, so is it worth the travel? Heck yeah. Um, I've, uh, I've had some really, I mean, some scary stories uh, where I've been scared for my life uh, doing this in some places. Uh, but in some other parts, there is, I've been, for example, invited uh, to go into the home of a dying woman because that was her last wish. And that is Aww. incredible. Wow. I mean, this is something that I can... I will never forget. It's really amazing. Bea, what's on your bucket list? <laughs> I, of course, dream of a zero-waste world, a zero-waste society. If zero-waste has transformed my family, if thanks to this lifestyle we've discovered a life of being instead of having, I can only imagine what it would be like if we had a society based on being instead of having. I think it would solve a lot of problems. 
I mean, I'm just so grateful, one, to be in your presence, <laughs> but two, again, just for the ripple effect that you've created. And again, I just want to say that to me, you are the originator. <laughs> you know, like when I think of Poster Child for Zero Waste, that is you. And again, I really appreciate how candid you are, how truthful you've been through this process and haven't made it so that, you know, you're perfect in every way. It's, and I think that makes it very, uh, very I'm not perfect in every yeah. way, exactly, because I do fly, I eat meat, I use toilet paper to wipe yeah. my butt. So, yes. Uh, and I, I think it's so important for people to be very clear, very transparent about their journey, uh, explain how sometimes it's hard, but also talk about the positive aspect of it, because I think that's really what inspires people. And we've been able to prove that what one family does can have a huge impact. I think a lot of people are sitting back waiting for the world to change for them. They're waiting for politicians to change laws. They're waiting for uh, manufacturers to change their practices. But in the end, I believe really that change is in the consumer's hands. Yep. Every time we buy, we have the power to support a practice that is either sustainable or is not. Every time you buy packaging, you're saying, I love packaging and I dream of a world filled with it. <laughs> Every time you buy unpackaged or you choose even not to buy, you are voting for a more sustainable uh, future for our children and the really change is in the consumers hands manufacturers only make only make what consumers buy so if we can buy if we can choose not to buy or buy differently then we can really vote for a more sustainable future so don't wait uh, i mean i'm just saying that to your listeners don't yeah. think that what you do doesn't have impact yes it does uh, and uh, just know that what you do can actually have a huge impact inspiring people around you and who knows maybe a movement i agree thank you so much Bea. <laughs> thanks so much for having me Thank you for listening to episode 9 of the Zero Waste Life Hacks podcast. We'd like to thank Hot Mobile Disco for the theme music. We'd also like to thank Bring Your Own Long Beach, who helped to coordinate this interview and also put on the speaking event with Bea Johnson. And of course, thank you, Bea Johnson, for your time, wisdom, and inspiration. If you'd like to learn more about Zero Waste Life Hacks and how you can lobby, educate, and petition, please visit our website at zerowastelifehacks.com and go to the page entitled Lobby, Educate, and Petition. Thank you for listening, and until next time, just say no to plastic.